When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast. Powered by the State of Louisville Network. All right, we are back from the Pink Seats podcast. I am Jacob Lane. He is Matt McGavick. And Vincent Lacoco joins us, our football contributor. Louisville won a football game, but I'll tell you what, it certainly didn't feel like it. And it still, in a way, feels like I'm waiting in line for a beer. I spent <laughs> half of my half of the game, Vince can attest to this, outside of my seat, just waiting for a beer, trying to uh, drown my misery and, and sorrows of what I was seeing on the field. Uh, Matt McGavick of the Louisville Report, Jacob Lane, stateoflouisville.com. That's where you can find us. Also, be sure to check out all the other State of Louisville podcasts on the State of Louisville Podcast Network. We've got a lot to get in here tonight. Uh, some some uh, these nuts jokes might be sprinkled in throughout the podcast. We're going to talk about Louisville versus Eastern Kentucky. Matt's got some headlines from his website uh, that, of course, you guys should be reading because there is nowhere to be more informed than on Matt's website. Uh, and then we're going to jump into the, the best segment in sports. That is what the people are calling it. Vince's game notes before we jump into our predictions and talk Central Florida. We've also got a great interview at the end of the podcast with Brian Smith. Uh, if you've been listening to From the Pink Seats, you're familiar with that name. We did uh, the preseason opponent preview series several weeks ago leading up to the season and sat down with Brian, uh, who covers, covers Central Florida for Inside the Nights of the Sports Illustrated Network. Uh, again, got to sit down with him. So we've got that at the back end of the, the episode. Really goes into some of the deep football nerdy minutia that, that we just can't get enough of. The nitty here. gritty stuff that we just That's love. right. The nitty gritty stuff. The, the, football, the football talk. If you want to hear about four techniques and one down, two down, I don't even know what you all were talking about. <laughs> we got it there. It's at the end of this podcast <laughs> episode. So make sure you stay and listen to that. But let's jump in to some, some Bofa D's nuts jokes. I got to tell you guys, this is the best story of all time in college football. And the funniest part of this, Matt, I feel like you can, you can attest to this if this were to happen at Louisville, but the SID, I, I want to play the sound clip. I'm probably going to throw the sound clip into the podcast. So people who don't know what I'm talking about can hear this. Um, but Vince, have you heard this? Do you even know what I'm talking about? The D's nuts with the, uh, yeah, the, Alabama, yeah. the Alabama guy. Yeah. Is there anybody on the planet that you would expect less to, to, to enjoy a D's nuts joke more than Nick Saban. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. He Obviously seems like the guy. right up there with him. He's like my number two. Oh my goodness. And can you imagine Bobby Petrino's deadpan delivery saying a D's nuts joke? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. This is a great, this is a great Days thing to talk nuts. about. Vince, Vince you got to give me something Bobby said that's similar. What there's got to have been like some kind of just like, hey, I'm Bobby, like some kind of uh-huh. fucking little thing he said that just always would just like, I, I, I know there's a Bobby equivalent to this. There's got to be. I can't, I have nothing off the top of my head. I would have to think, think a couple of days about that one. But the one play that always sticks with me about Coach Petrino is my first practice. We have no pads on. Uh, I went to the ground twice, which you're not supposed to do. It's my first time getting in 11 on 11. I'm a walk on, a little nervous, whatever. I trip over my cleats the second time. 
the first time I got stepped on, but the second time he came up behind me and I, everybody's going to stay up, stay up. And he comes in my ear and uh, hits me with a 52. You ever do that again? You'll never see that from the field. <laughs> Turn around and walk away. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> dang. <laughs> Oh my goodness! All right, what about Sat? Does Sat would Sat ever make a both oh. of these nuts joke? Would you could you ever see that? Would he ever hit you with some kind of? I'm trying to think of like another joke that's a, that's worth sharing on the air here, Sat, but there's got to be something, man. Not really Sat, but it's more Brew. Okay, I so can Brewer, see that. Oh, I can, I can see, see Brew loving a both of these I, nuts jokes. I have class that gets out at two o'clock. We have meetings that start at two fifteen. I'm supposed to signal to the wide receivers so they can get all the new plays that we install. Uh, throughout the week or whatever well i'm i'm scrambling because i'm like oh i'm gonna be late to this meeting brew's gonna be mad at me whatever and i get there he's like did you get the new play i'm like what i'm trying to hand out scripts and stuff he's like d's i'm like that's the same thing about this i'm like d's what are you talking about he's like d's nuts and it was like week three i'm like dude i'm so stressed right now do you need this like why do you gonna hit me with the d's nuts chip but it was so funny Oh, oh, it's just, goodness. I can totally imagine that, man. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. <laughs> the last thing on the Nick Saban, I don't know if you all saw the twist today, but they asked Lane Kiffin about this at an Ole Miss press conference, and he told the story of how it originated. And essentially, Marlon Humphrey, when he was at Alabama, said this to Nick Saban, and Nick Saban lost it. Like, you know, Nick Saban, he's serious. Like, mm-hmm. he, he thought it was the funniest thing he had ever heard. And Lane Kiffin said since then he's made – these nuts jokes nonstop. And he said he gets somebody every time. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. I'm telling you what, man, if more college football coaches that was allowed to come out and SIDs didn't try to prevent it, it would be a great world because it was 100%. Oh, it's a, oh, it's incredible hearing the SID in the back. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're asking him for what kind of inspirational quote. And he drops a, these nuts jokes. He's like, uh, suck on, uh, suck on these. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Let's go. This is amazing. You know, that SID was cringing in the background. Don't let it ever happen, man. Actually do let it happen. I think it would be great. Yeah, let it happen like once. All right. Let's jump into some serious stuff now and let's get into the big three. Big, big, big three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big three. Come on. Matt, take us to the website. What do we got from the big three as we look uh, back at EKU? Talk about the nightmares on the football team and at the football stadium and everything else out there in global football land. I thought the product on the field was bad enough. So I, I wish I could have st- stepped outside the press box just to see everything that was going on with in the concourse and whatnot. But I, I saw the photos afterwards. It's, it, it, it's crazy seeing how just unorganized and chaotic everything was when it came to the actual fan day experience. People couldn't get in the, in the uh, stadium. People waited entire quarters, like you said, Jacob, just to get beer or food. And then Vince, later came out and said it was due to a labor store shortage, but like there were other things that they could have prevented like credit cards not being swiped, but I'm they're They're trying to correct that. And for this upcoming game, doing a whole various things, including, you know, half price beer, which no one's going to complain about that, but the, the ultimate irony in all of that, in that after having fans, having all that game day, like nightmares, you're going to want to find someone to, to complain about and who you're who, who are you going to complain about the associate director of fan experience. He sounds like someone to complain to. And then you go searching for him. You don't like what you're finding when you're searching for him. Just like that's the most Louisville thing that I've ever heard in a while. And there's been a lot of really 
boneheaded, dumb stories to come out of this just this area regarding Louisville athletics in the last five or so years. But that's up there with one of the dumber ones. It, listen, some point we're going to do this on a state of Louisville podcast. We're going to all the outrageous Louisville fan moments. We're going to put them in a bracket. This is a one seed. This is a one seed. 100%. This, 100%. Is one, this is a one seed. This is up there with some of the craziest things. One of the craziest things I've ever heard. And it is so ironic that they, that the story that they unearthed wasn't meant to be unearthed when they were doing what they wanted to do. It's just wild. But um, what was the headline? Did you, did you give us the headline from the website? I don't know if I missed that. No, that, that's one I didn't actually cover because I was busy doing other stuff, but it's just, it, it, it bears bringing up because it's just so ludicrous. It makes sense. All right, let's take, let's get out of the U-turn here and go back to the start of headline number one. Matt, give us headline number one. Headline number one, Louisville rushing attack to face tough tests versus UCF. Now, when I was doing preliminary research in the UCF, I knew based off of our uh, opponent series previewed in the offseason that, you know, UCF is going to have a really good front seven, really athletic guys, really long guys can give. Louisville problems in the run game wouldn't anticipate anticipating seeing UCF only surrendering 22 yards per game per 22 rushing yards per game that's that's some video game numbers right there and we all know Satterfield's tendencies in the run game which I'll get to that in a second within my next headline but if Louisville cannot establish the run at all they're in a world of trouble because we all know that Satterfield's run first kind of guy, use that to go play action, kind of set up the pass. I mean, it's a football cliche, but it's true. That's what his, his approach on offense is. And just right out of the gates, it seems like it, it could have it could be problematic because guys like Kelly Davis, Big Cat Bryant, Ricky Barber, some those guys on that front seven, specifically the defensive line, are tailor-made to stop the run and stop it at the point of attack or behind the point of attack. And Louisville's in a world of hurt if they find themselves if they find themselves behind early, which I, I could easily see happening based on some of the play calling tendencies we've seen, which directly leads into headline number two. Scott Satterfield defends run came play calling. Now, shout out to Mark Ennis because I, I wanted to originally ask this question because but I didn't know how to phrase it. He actually asked Satterfield about his second and long play calling because he pulled up the stat originally that uh in the 14 instances, instances, excuse me, that Louisville faced second and six or longer, Louisville ran on 11 of them. And that's, that's, that's just, that, that can't happen. It and doesn't this make modern, sense. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And then like, especially in this modern age of football where it's throw, 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 run, then throw. Like, I mean, spreading the football out and throwing the ball around is just what you do in football nowadays. The, the running back slowly becoming extinct. I mean, it still serves a purpose. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, Run first, foot, uh, run first football in this day and age just isn't a thing anymore, unfortunately. Can and I then, ask you a question real quick? I just realized this. I just realized this. Literally just have an epiphany. Have they run any sort of jet sweep pop pass this year? I have not yeah, seen it one time. They did. Okay. All right. Yeah, I must did. have been. I was waiting in line for my. You were beer, waiting so. in line for a beer. <laughs> so also, hold on. Also, back up real quick. Back up real quick. You'll have to reel me in. Vince and I met for the first time over the weekend. Great story. Absolutely great story. Okay, there is a stadium of 50,000 people. Potentially, there wasn't that many. It was like 34, whatever. Vince and I could have been anywhere in this stadium, and we were two rows apart. It was meant to be. <laughs> we were going to wallow in misery together in the same section. And so I also together. got to buy – I got to buy – it wasn't the first one. I was disappointed. <laughs> he already had a beer when I saw him, but I did get to buy him a beer like I promised last episode. It was great. It was a fantastic bonding moment for the podcast. It was beautiful. And everybody around him was like, who is that guy that you keep smiling at? 
it, well, I'd turn around and there'd be something I'd, I don't know, I'd probably be crying about, I'd be mad about, and I'd turn to you and I'd yell at you and we'd be yelling back and forth, but the people in between us would be like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you screaming at me? Quit looking at me. Sit down, you crazy guy. So Wonderful. It was just a great way to bond and meet for the first time. You, you couldn't have wrote a better love story if you tried. Right. But anyways, like going back on that point, when Satterfield answered as to why he runs on second and long so much, his rationale was he's just trying to get half of that yardage back to set up third and manageable in, in a run, run situation there or a pass situation, which – I mean, I can get the rationale there, but that is only if you execute. Louisville ain't executing right now. They had trouble doing that last season because of how predictable they got. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it also helps when you have an all-ACC tie back and Javion Hawkins back there. And now that he's gone, I mean, no offense to Jalen Mitchell, but he ain't Javion Hawkins. He's not as fast. He's not as shifty. He's a big bruising back who has potential to turn on the afterburners when he gets in the open field, but he's still like the, the large lumbering back who's, going to you know run people over but one he's not being utilized like that because it's still like stretch left stretch right yeah. short side speed option like any insert any run out of the pistol that doesn't involve going straight up the middle and just Louisville's not executing and, and they're not diversifying the run game it's just the same thing we've seen a lot of since the beginning of the 2020 season and I can't remember if we said it in, in the interview with Brian or if we said it before we started recording but this this live by the run, die by the run mentality could eventually be his downfall if it doesn't improve. I mean, it has to be. It has to be because when when you're when you're continually doing the same thing over and over again and it doesn't work, you can say it's execution all you want. I, I believe it. I, I see it with my right. I see it with my eyes watching the game. Your right eye, not your left. Just eye. my right. <laughs> well, it, yeah, maybe because it's the right side of the offensive line. I could see oh, God, yeah. what happened. I could see it better on TV than I could watched in the game. And shout out to, is it Forrest Connolly, the play-by-play? We got to get that guy on staff, man. You got to bear crawl. You got to get your pad level down, and you got to drive up. They're not doing it. I mean, he was breaking it down frame by frame. And it's, I mean, dude, every time Adonis Boone, he's a turnstile. He's looking at Malik Cunningham within seconds. Renato Brown is joining in. It's like a game. He's like my daughter. He sees it. He wants to do it too. He's not sure what it is. Then you get the whole right side of the line exposed with one and two guys rushing. I just don't understand it. So if it's execution, Scott, why are we not doing something else that maybe you might execute a little better at? I, I think so. I kind of just kind of let this marinate a little bit. I think he was just saying this is a team that that isn't good enough to beat us, and we're just gonna we're just gonna do it over and over again until you get it right. Like we're gonna just line up, and every time we're just gonna do it again. We're gonna do it again, and we're gonna do it again. And at some point, you're either gonna get it right, or I'm gonna put somebody else in, and they're gonna do it right. And so I, I think this game, like I said, it's the the rubber meets the road here. Like Scott's either gonna get it going because he figured it out. Where they are just going to get pulverized over and over and over again, and it, it, he's going to look like he did against Ole Miss, where he just flat yep. out looks like he doesn't belong there, man. Like, and and here's another thing. Sorry, Matt, you got another headline somewhere in here. I said no, you're fine. Keep it short. Uh, I, what's up with the answer about Friday Night Football, man? I really that bothered me a lot. You're the well, no, only the, program. I get I I get where he was coming from. I get where he was coming from. Friday night is not a traditional football night at college football. It's harder. It's a short week. It makes things a little bit more challenging. That's traditionally a high school night. You're out recruiting. But, dude, you get the chance to be out in front of national television. Just don't say it. Just don't say it. Like, if you believe it, don't say it. That It just – 
if they get beat, it's going to look bad. I'm sorry. It's just, it, it bugged me a little bit. Well, it, it's like you just said. I mean, it's a prime recruiting opportunity to like send multiple members of the staff out there just to go check in with recruits at games on Friday nights. And when, when you're playing a game, I mean, that's one less weekend and one less opportunity for you to go out and, you know, build those relationships. So I kind of get what he was saying, but it was one of those opportunities where just like, yeah, I get what you mean, but you can't really say that out loud. Just kind of keep going to yourself. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, Scott, read the room, man. Now is not the time to say things like that. Now's the time to be like, you know what? And you know what, Scott, to your point, winning a football game on a Friday night on national television that recruits are going to see highlights of on, on yeah, Twitter. They're going to see. Because literally that's the only game that night. So the recruits, they're, they're going to see highlights of that at some point. Yeah, they're going to see it on their phone because they're playing in a game. And also, Scott, they're playing in a game. Like, they can't interact with you. You can't really talk to them. If there's, like, four coaches out recruiting and, like, they can't get to everybody, you're better served winning a football game on a Friday night on ESPN against a team that's looking like they're pretty good. Probably top 25 caliber team. Like, Yeah, they're up to number 18 right now. Oh, no. Oh, see, I didn't even know be, that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're climbing Central, the rankings, man. Central Florida? Oh, no, I thought you were talking about Ole Miss. No, no. no I was like, UCF, what? I know they're unranked, but they're. I was looking Close. at the AP poll. They're literally one one position away from being ranked. They're 26th, technically, if you look at it. Yeah. All right. Did we have a headline three? Did we get to that yet? And no, we haven't. Headline number three, Louisville using lessons from Ole Miss ahead of UCF. Now, what one of the narratives heading into the season is that it was a front-loaded uh, schedule in terms of the type of team you face. Two teams that just love to run, 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 just like operate that offense as fast as they can and they're, they're kind of they're both Ole Miss and UCF are kind of cut from the same cloth and the staff is going to try and use what they learned both on offense and defense against the Rebels to try and implement it against UCF now the, the scheme there's some similarities there's in the personnel is a little bit is there can be some similarities there especially with the quarterbacks basically Darren Dylan Gabriel is Matt Corral light I say that because Matt Corral is playing like a Heisman candidate right now he's gone from dark horse to I think I think the last Heisman update I saw actually has him as the front runner ahead of uh, Bryce Petty at Alabama. So, like, there's no dark horse about it. Like, he's very squarely in the Heisman race. Uh, but I digress. Ole Miss ran a little bit slower than what they're anticipating. I think they ran 73 plays against Louisville, which is not that unheard of in college. I mean, they it's 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 up tempo, but I could I expect them to run like 80, 85, whereas Central Florida, they're they're playing like they were last year. So, but the caveat is, and Satterfield or Brian Brown mentioned it, they're they're they're, they're trying to get as many plays out as they can, even if it's not the right play in a in an attempt to try and knock alignment out for the defense, to try and find that one mismatch, that one guy out of position to kind of take advantage of. And that's something that Louisville struggled against with Ole Miss. And it started to show a little bit when EK went up tempo for that one or two series in the second quarter. So that, that is something that they're going to have to take. That's a lesson they need to take to heart in practice this week. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it was very telling when Justin Marshall just yesterday, and we're recording on Wednesday, but just yesterday admitted that the team kind of got sucked into the hype of the old miss game a little bit. And you talk about things you're thinking to yourself, but you don't say out loud. I mean, you you would think that the coaching staff would have had these guys prepared to like, hey, I know it's a big moment. It's a big game. You're playing on national TV, but don't get caught in the moment. You would think that they'd have those guys better prepared for that. But and you I, I guess you can say that and my it, I'm sorry to cut you off, Matt, but I feel like no, you fine. can say that 
but the guys you have out there are the ones that have to go out there and execute the plays. And you can you can preach that all you want and have them as prepared and everything, but at the end of the day, it's still the Chick-fil-A game or in Atlanta, you're in an NFL stadium. I know whenever we walked into the Dolphins Stadium in 2019, I walked in there like, whoa, like this is unreal. Like this looks so cool. You're just so, I don't know, I would not going to say mesmerized, but I, I see where Justin's coming from, where they could get wrapped up in the hype on that. Right. And then- but, 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 that they have six-year seniors. Like, C.J. Avery has, did he play in, in Atlanta against Auburn? Like, he's been here that long, probably. Like, but they've seen this. They've seen this. And I, I, I can, again, I can understand his perspective and I actually appreciate his candid, you know, response. Like I appreciate him being honest and it's unfortunate to hear that, but like, bro, you have been here for five years. Uh, CJ has been here for six years, five years. Cole's been here five years. I could go on and on and on. Y'all have been in this moment. Why are you not more prepared? Like it's game one. Like let's, let's go out there and I get it's a bigger game, but it's game one. And then let's move on back to, to central Florida, Dylan Gabriel. I'm really interested to see him because I've heard a lot about him. Not really watch much central Florida. Um, is he better than Blake Bortles? That's the question I have. Hmm. That might be the, from the pink seats question of the night uh, is Dylan Gabriel better than Blake Bortles. Do you know, do you know? I'd, I'd have to watch more film on them because I was more so concerned with watching some of that UCF defensive film. But, like, based on what I've seen in the limited exposure, he could really spread the ball out a lot. Say he is. I don't know. He probably is. But he he is going to be something to watch because this secondary has been um, inconsistent. They played better. I, it was great to see Clark get a couple of picks, man. That was beautiful. And I, the quote afterwards is the quote yes. of the season. He needs to go put that on a shirt yesterday. Uh, but I'm interested to see if the secondary can bounce back. Matt highlighted in the depth chart today. We had our first uh, raw, our first starting change on the defense, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, so we've got Gritty Vance entering the starting lineup over Chandler Jones, which um, I'm going to keep it, It's it. a welcome I'm, change based it, on what it, we've seen so far. I don't even need to say anything else. Yeah, I don't need to say anything else. So now we're going to see what the secondary really is. I heard a lot of hype about Gritty Vance. I also heard Brian Brown call him 1B to the 1A and 1 or 1C to the 1A and 1B of Chandler Jones and Cottrell Clark. So I'm holding this staff a little bit more accountable to their words than what we've uh, done in, in previous years. I'm tired of coaches making statements and not living up to it. So I'm going to continue to bring those up every time we talk about this, these things. <laughs> Uh, great stuff there from Matt McGavick. Again, you can check out the Louisville report, Matt, give them the URL, please. You can find me at si.com slash college slash Louisville, or you can find me on social media at Louisville on SI, both on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at general Wasp. said the website, man, chill out, save some of the plugs for later. All right, let's get into what people are calling the best segment in all of sports. Vince's game notes. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's Game Notes with Vincent Lococo. Vince, what, what do we have this week? You watched the game, you got to see it in person, and you got to watch it on the television. Give us what you got in your notebook. Uh, well, it's definitely a lot different for one going to the game and sitting in the stands opposed to being there, being able to sit down and watch it on your television. You get the replays, everything like that, but uh, – one of the things that I took away early on about our offense was how much uh, motions we had. Those motions helped set up those quick toss passes to Josh Johnson that got us 40-something yards 
Uh, it also helps for Malik. It gives Malik a short window of him to be able to read the defense and tell whether or not they're going to be in zone or man coverage. So it's going to help our passing game. In the first series, we ran three motions. We ran, we had three plays with a motion. And uh, I believe two out of those three plays were positive yards. Uh, as well as the O-line play, obviously, was just atrocious out there. Uh, guys were getting beat on the inside. I mean, linebackers were shooting their gaps. It seemed like nobody had their gap security. Uh, on the run plays, it seemed like our guys were catching more than striking. Is that what it looked like for you, Matt? I mean, it just yeah, kind of it, it, seemed it, like – it didn't look like they were generating the push they needed to. And, no, and that's no. extremely concerning when you're playing someone like EKU. It's one thing when you're playing Ole Miss and because um, they have SEC dudes and they, they, yeah. they got some guys up front. But you, when, you, when you're having trouble doing that against the Colonels, yeah. that's, that's a red flag right there. Bear crawl. They got a uh, bear crawl. Exactly. <laughs> but, I, I'm, you know, they did. They had some bright spots. They had some negative, spot, negative spots at the O-line. Whenever Malik was given a clean pocket, he, he looked like he was going through his reads fine and hitting whatever, granted, his deep balls were what they were. They were not good. But it looked like to me that he was able to just go through his reads, and if he didn't see something, he you know would take off and make a play. It was nice to see them try. They just really needed to execute. Okay, yeah. okay, let's talk about that real quick. Just real quick, wide receiver breakdown. Tyler Harrell, I saw it in person, and I saw it on camera. I thought he got lost with the ball in the air both times. What did you see on those? Because the ball was not – it wasn't accurate in terms of being perfect, but it was catchable, and both times it looks like he just lost himself where he was, where the ball was. What happened? Yeah, uh, to, go ahead. To me, it looks like, yes, he got he lost where the ball was, and he should have turned. I believe the ball was on his – that Malik put it on his outside shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. He did what we call a baseball turn, where he flips his shoulders all the way around, and he turns the other way when, really, he's turning and he's looking on his inside. He should have just flipped his shoulders around and it would have been a lower catch. He would have had to bend, but it would have gave him a longer time to see the white stripes on the ball that were, uh, that are, you know, becoming such a hot topic right now. It would have him see those white lines and he would have been able to catch that one or at least had a better opportunity. So Tyler Harrell is now Jamar Chase. You heard it here from Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're, you're exactly right. It seemed, yeah, to be fair to him, Malik didn't have that great of touch on some of those deep shots, but Harrell just looks lost. He looks like he hadn't practiced a deep shot at all, which I'm sure when you have speed like he does, that's the main thing you practice. So to see how it not play out barely at all on the field, I, I go back to the quote that Satterfield had during fall camp. Yeah, he looks great in practice, but we'll see how he looks when the lights turn on and the lights have been on and no one's been home. Yeah, Burr likes to say, don't get nervous in the service. So I love his brewism. That is the, that is the name of this podcast episode. Don't get nervous in the service, man. That is fantastic. <laughs> All right, what else? What else is in your game notes? Uh, just I'm going to highlight the special teams again because I, you know, yes. I feel like nobody ever talks about those guys, but it's crazy and it shows how much special teams can come into play. That that can turn completely swing a game. I mean, I know I was juiced up when Marvin Dallas ran down there screaming twice. And got a fumble on one. He laid the wood. Dude out on the other one. Clean, no targeting, nothing caught on that play. No it was targeting. awesome to see a guy like Marvin Dallas, who hasn't really had his opportunity on the defensive side yet, 
which you all will get to see. He's one of the most athletic guys I've ever seen. He's just a complete freak. But seeing him take advantage of the opportunities given to him on special teams was awesome. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's always nice to see guys on special teams try and carve out their niche and eventually work their way onto offense or defense. And and like you said, he's definitely going to be someone that we see sooner rather than later on defense. I know it's kind of crowded in outside linebacker with guys like Jack Fago, Yasir Jewel, and Nick Okiki. I got to catch you off again, Jack Fago. He's played well, man. He's played really well. He has. He he really has. I mean, I I had my doubts, but because we've seen the position switch from – uh, and the defensive back to linebacker, and, and only a few guys can pull it off. I mean, Rajay was able to do it, but he's he, he's pretty athletic. So I, I kind of had my doubts about Jack Fago being able to do it because he was he was good but not great as a safety. So, but w- with his size, he's been able to translate to that fairly well. So now, I mean, we already knew that outside linebacker and linebacker in general was a strength, and, and that just kind of bolsters the case there. Yeah, I lo- I love what what. Uh, Jack Fago has brought so far, but man, at some point the the change has got to be made to Marvin Dallas. Hit the ceiling on that dude. What he can bring to the defense is just unreal. Uh, we talked a lot about it during the offseason, Vince, last year when he was in on special teams and, and late in the season when he got in defensively and some of the blowouts. It was a clear difference how much faster the defense was. He was a rocket, man. It was so much fun to watch. He had a fumble last year, I think on kickoff returns, uh, but this year he's got the, the, the one on the, the punt return was a game changer. Yeah. And it was it, it, in a way, man, there were weird parallels to Indiana state 2018 on this game on Saturday night. I know there was no rain, but you had the special teams touchdown. Remember, wasn't it Rajay that took a punt return back off of the bounce? I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, I'm not bringing that, that juju over here. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we don't have to go down that road. I am not the only one that has said that either. That is, it It just had these weird par- parallels. But anyways, there's just got to be, they, they just got to be better. And that's what you, what UCF is going to come down to. Just it's pretty execute. simple. Uh, we'll let Brian, we'll, we'll let Brian save all the good football stuff um, for us when we, we talk about the X's and O's, but it, it it's it just comes down to can they execute it? and if they can't is the is it because the coaches are but is it bad play calling is it that these guys just aren't getting any better that's what i think we're going to find out we're going to try to we're going to get some underlying answers to these execution things because if you talk all off season about how deep you are and how much better you're going to be and then you come out and you just don't execute I, I mean i blame the players to an extent but man that says a lot about what's happening right i mean it could be the three games in 12 days i think that's got a big wear on this team i warned you guys i warned you of that matt that this was going to be a narrative when we got here um but it's starting to play out a little bit the bottom line is this there is a standard at louisville for what the football program should be right we're not alabama we're not auburn we're not florida we're not georgia we're not notre dame um but there's a standard of the level of what louisville should be able to do and beating teams that are unranked, they can be the 26th best team. They're not a top 25 team. Uh, that's from the American Athletic Conference at home. Louisville should never be an underdog in that scenario. This is a game that's at least not an underdog to the level they are now. I think they're around right. a seven point dog. Like somewhere Louisville in that neighborhood. Should, I, I know they lost 2013, so this kind of makes this conversation a little bit choppy here because it's like, well, what about last time? But they went 12 and one. So, okay, whatever. But in this scenario, that, that Scott has got to raise the standard of play on Saturday, on Friday night. It's just got to be the message is guys, we got to go out here and we got to, we got to run their faces into the ground. This is our stadium. These are our fans. They want to see us win tonight. And if we don't win, 
I don't know where we're going to be in the next couple of months, guys. Let's strap in and let's get this done and let's go do what Louisville football does. And that's win football games at home against unranked teams from lesser conferences. Like it's not rocket science. Uh, so for me, the, the, it, it's a simple thing. Does Scott adjust? Does Scott, uh, does he figure out where the weaknesses have been in this football team and do they move on from those? Or are we talking about the same stuff? And Matt is asking after the game, Scott, you ran the football five, uh, seven times on second and six or longer. I know I've asked the last three weeks, but has anything changed? And he's like, well, Matt, listen here, man. We're just, we're not, we're not, we're just not executing. We're going to, you know, whatever. It's, it's simple. It's, it's a very simple narrative to me. Just go out and win the game, man. I don't want to hear anything else. Just win. You play to win the game. Hello. Yeah. Go ahead, Vince. One of So y'all were talking about uh, the three games and however long, uh, I think what what's the time frame on that? What what'd you three say? Ga- three, three games, games in 12, twelve days. days. So yeah. I think that if they walked away healthy from this EKU game, and I mean everybody, obviously you're gonna be sore. Yeah. But if we walked away clean where nobody's, you know, hamstring issues or knee issues with a brace or a sleeve on or anything, I think this could actually play in our favor. I mean, it's almost like you don't skip a beat in your fall camp and you just fuck you you go straight into this other game. It's almost like having another Saturday scrimmage for your fall camp. And I yeah. think I think the guys might be a little bit more tuned up and ready to go, and things might be a little bit more precise just because, I mean, it's the third game in 12 days. And we, like you all said, in EKU, we just kept running the same thing, running the same thing, running the same thing. It felt like the guys, you know, I think Jacob said, uh, we're going we're gonna to leave you out there until you get it right. Well, you know, this might be, in my opinion, I think this will be the game where they get it right. I, I, I mean, I, I hope so. I hope so. I think that's all I can say there is I hope so. Uh, every time I, I make a prediction about Louisville, I consider all the things that are out there, what I've heard, what's in the past. And I, I need to just start taking the facts into consideration much more. And the facts are not, not pleasant here in terms of what we're probably going to Facts see. don't paint a pretty picture. Right? No, they they sure. don't. No, but I'm hoping we're going to get one of these moments where, like, I mean, to be quite honest with you, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. Scott doesn't – Scott Satterfield does not have a game where you look at it and you're like, that's, that's the game that they want. I know Mississippi State – they won the ball game you could make the argument about wake forest the 62 to 59 game but those games are those teams were good but not great and this isn't a great team but they're almost ranked Uh, at home friday night you're one and one you got the opportunity to really bounce back prove yourself because central florida is gaining some steam there's no there's no doubt about that Mm -hmm. um that's just i don't know man i just it's a huge momentum swing game the the momentum can either swing in all in a large positive direction or the, the ship will start sinking quick in a hurry that and that's I'm trying not to let that creep in. I, I shouldn't have said 2018. Please, Lord, have mercy on me. I ask for forgiveness for saying that. Say often, your hell marys, damn it. Uh, but my uh, that I mean that's you just hope it does. The wheels don't come off, man. Like I'm just I'm hoping that that's not what ha- what's happening. Vince, I want to ask you this question, and um, I'm trying to I'm going to phrase it so that we don't air any dirty laundry. I'm not asking for specifics here, but. Um, I from a, the tea, sister. From a, I mean, hey, if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. But when players are, are in an offense where maybe the calls aren't what they should be, things are kind of choppy, the offense isn't working, 
how long does it take before it starts to like go from just kind of like the guys talking, you know, maybe internal frustration of like, man, why are they not running this play? Why are they not throwing me the ball? Like how long does that take to start spilling into the seat, to the, to the field and the meeting rooms and guys checking out? Because that's another fear of like, they go another game like this on the national level and just get boinked. Like the players are going to have to be, I mean, frustrated, right? I mean, can you give me some insight there? This is why, this is what separates your 2018 Petrino teams in your teams now that that culture that we had of coming back to the sidelines throwing helmets because we're not getting in or we're not getting the ball on this day or that day and you know uh, why is Lamar not throwing it my way why is this that the other happening that that stuff you know doesn't really it's there on these Satterfield teams but you have the captains and leaders and they're they're that whole program is built on accountability so nobody, anybody can check anybody in there. And I, I, I don't think that bleeds into the meeting room. And I know it doesn't bleed onto the field because whenever we're all out there, I mean, Sat says it all the time. It's, it's got to take all 11. We got to be like this. <laughs> Doing his little mm-hmm. finger thing, man. Oh, yeah. We got to be like this. But I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's true. Yeah. I can't be mad because I'm not getting the ball. I'm going to go out there, do my job, do it to the best of my ability and try and get us a win. Okay, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What about if your your brother next to you is not not getting his job done? Like you're you're out there grinding and everybody is pushing their way, but your your homeboy can't hold water next to you. Like what happens then? Then you check him. Uh, you go up to him. Why why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? You don't obviously go up there like you're ready to fight or anything, but yeah. like you approach him like a grown man. We're in that building, everybody likes to say, Oh, I'm a grown man, I'm a grown man, but I'm 40. You got to be able to handle this stuff. You have to be able to have another man I'm come to so- you and tell you you're not doing right. Yeah, amazing. And one of us is going to say it. You beat me to it. <laughs> I yeah. saw an opportunity and I seized it. <laughs> that's that's yeah. just the thing. They're huge on accountability. That's the culture in there. CJ Avery, I'm telling y'all, I, there hasn't been a leader around like him since Keith Kelsey and – I mean, he, 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 very quick. There we go. Okay. All right. I have more scenarios. I'm trying to work through my head here and uh, gosh, Matt, you threw me off with that. I was uh, so good. (laughs) Um, Here's what I was going to say, Matt, you, you heard Caleb Chandler. I thought listening to and reading some of his comments, it sounded like he did kind of check his guys a little bit. And he talked about what he told them. It wasn't necessarily saying, Hey, I, you know, this guy needs to do this. It's a conversation he had already had. And yeah. he really brought the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the tough part of like, we're not excused executing because we're not bear crawling. There's no, there's no push. There's no push. And I, it's interesting. You say that it's, we're seeing that play out. That's a good sign. That's a good sign because. Yeah, um, no, Caleb was, was, was blunt and honest. He said, we're not living up to our expectations. And we know that. And he, he didn't like try and sugarcoat it. He didn't try and beat around the bush. He didn't try and like say i kind of phrase it in another way that sounded made it sound less bad no he straight up said we're not performing to the way that we're supposed to be and that's not acceptable and and it was refreshing to hear that because i mean we're all thinking it we, we can see what's playing out on the field we we know as as hyped up as this unit was we, we thought this was going to be the strength on offense and now right now it's the weakness like and this is this is not acceptable there's too much experience. There's too much talent on that line for their for them to be performing like this. It's just plain and simple. 
And, and the thing is, is they're not walking into a Central Florida team that's got an average defensive line or, you know, no, this is a, this is a legit, you know, they're not SEC, but they've got SEC dudes. Like this is a legit defensive line that's made up of grown men who, uh, if you can't stop three Eastern Kentucky colonels, good luck stopping the Golden Knights, my friend, because they're, they, I think we need to get it to the edge and just try and wrap that outside zone with that tight end. There was one play in particular where Jalen Mitchell broke it down the sideline on the boundary where we really, I mean, we stretched that zone. And that's what Jalen's really got to do to avoid this Kalia Davis dude. Uh, well, and, I feel like – Stretch that edge and just get out there around this dude and get ready as possible. It, there's got to be Hassan Hall sprinkled in here. They've got to go with some, right. some, some thunder and lightning type of deal. You can't – with the, the size of, of Central Florida and the athletes – um, Jalen Mitchell is going to be faster, but he is definitely not bigger. I mean, he is not going to outrun every single one of these guys. He might get a couple of them, but Hassan Hall is the burner. Trevion Cooley, I'd love to see a big Trevion Cooley run, like a 40, 50 yard. Like, I'd love this. Like, we need, we need he, one of those. He's got that in them. He, he, he's shown flashes of potential in the first couple, in the first couple of games. Like, he, we, from what we've seen, we know he has that in his arsenal at some point. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And, but with this offensive line, that that right place and time is kind of hard to come by, even with the, the two starters in front of them. But, I mean, there is potential. It, it's funny, uh, Vince, you mentioned about needing to get to the edge. Satterfield mentioned how it's not – yeah, the offensive line is not performing up to their par. I, I mean, that's, that's what it is what it is. But he also mentioned that the tight ends were not doing very well on, the fr- on their front side blocks, and then the wide receivers were not doing very well on their outside blocks. And, I mean, the O-line can create all the all – the, push they want but if you're if you're doing like a stretch left stretch right or some sort of outside zone and the guy that's on the perimeter isn't holding his block there's nothing stopping from that one guy coming in all it takes is just one ma oh, yeah. to blow a play up is is uh des melton is he a good blocker is he i mean because i know it's been kind of francis sherman i mean at least i saw more of him against eastern kentucky than i did against Ole miss is he a guy that you can i mean they miss ian pfeiffer oh ian you oh, should have come back oh, i, I tried to tell you ian i tried to tell you man you could have used the seventh year we should have made it happen uh, but they could have used him um i an interesting i, I mean I, I i've noticed that as well the tight ends are just not as good as they were with ford and pfeiffer um uh, I, I don't know what you do there there's really just not much else i mean there's not really any depth it just sucks that i mean if isaac martin could be maybe two inches taller maybe he'd be the perfect wide tight end for marshawn's age where he's all finesse and stuff it'd be the most it'd be so perfect and we wouldn't even be having this conversation but he's not <laughs> all right let's go into predictions here wrap up the show um Matt, what do you have for us? We're not going to bring full Master Domus out right now. My emotions just can't handle any more of this. Yeah. Matt, just give me a prediction. (laughs) Master Domus score prediction. Master Domus is taking the Golden Knights 35 to 20. I mean, until I see something otherwise with the offensive line coming together, the offense as a whole coming together, the defense being able to learn their lessons from against Ole Miss, which I think they have. UCF just operates at such a fast pace that it's, it's going to be really hard to just stay, keep your man in front for the entire game. So I'm, I'm taking UCF in this one by double digits. I think Louisville keeps it close in the first quarter, but I think something's going to happen for it to start swinging in UCF's favor early. All right. I am also going with the golden Knights here. I just, I just think Louisville is not good enough. Um, 
it's not like they're playing a Goliath here by any means, but in terms of until they show me, I don't think I've seen enough to say that they're going to win a game, especially on a short turnaround against a high prolific offense. We've seen what Eastern Kentucky did. We saw obviously what Ole Miss did. I've got uh, Central Florida here, 31 to 20. All right, Vince, wrap the show up. What do you got? So I'm not going to give uh, UCF as much credit as you all. Boise <laughs> State, are you kidding me? And I can't even Beth, – Bethune. Bethune-Cookman. They're an HBCU. What, what, whatever. What? You should have let him figure that um, one out on his own. Yeah, that was, that's, that's – that I think, I think the defense is going to step up. Trey got me right with two turnovers last week. I'm calling for three this week. Who about to get blessed this we week? Get, if we get three, He's getting blessed. I think we'll win 21-7. 21 <laughs> We got to get three turnovers. Though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 21. I mean, there's no – you all can't – you can't justify those wins that they had, UCF has. I mean, I mean Boise, Boise State's a, Boise State is, is a good opponent, though. I will give you that again about Bethune-Cookman, but Boise State's a good opponent still. And, but Central Florida had to come from behind to win that game, and they threw a pick six on the opening drive. So, maybe they're not telling more anymore. I mean, come on now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're hoping for some better results this week. Uh, what a great show. Uh, make sure you stay tuned here. We're going to go into a little bit of a outro, but stay tuned. The episode is not over. Brian Smith of inside the nights is going to join us at the sports illustrated network. Really, really, really good X and O's talk. And, and just like we said, nitty gritty football nerd stuff. If that's not your thing, uh, just listen. Anyways, you'll, you'll get excited about football <laughs> listening to the fans who go out Friday night. I am hoping that you guys will consume half-off beers on my behalf. I am so sad. And I am going to miss that. I'll drink plenty uh, for you guys. I take a couple <laughs> of them out there for me, but man. Uh, I'm really just hoping that we don't have a bunch of drunk, angry fans at halftime watching the little getting blown out because it it could be interesting. Half-off beer is a dangerous proposition around these parts. So, uh, Matt, best of luck in the in the uh, press box up there. I'm sure you'll be walking around taking pictures and videos of the lines. It sounds like a mad thing to do, Vince. Taking great, game notes. <laughs> yeah, taking game, yeah, the crowd exactly four minutes in line. Vince, what do you think about this? Um, but no. <laughs> Vince, we appreciate uh, your football acumen and the inside scoop to D's nut story. That is hands down the best story that has been told on this podcast. A, a bar has been raised here, uh, but fantastic stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in. Go Cards. All right, we have broken down the Eastern Kentucky game. We have uh, talked about what is ahead for Louisville with Central Florida on Friday night. But uh, let's dive a little bit more into Central Florida. We've got Brian Smith here from Inside the Ninth of Sports Illustrated Network who covers uh, Central Florida football. And Brian, uh, we've talked recently, so I I know not too much has changed. Why don't we just start off the top? What have you learned about Central Florida that you didn't know the last time we talked? Uh, There's been quite a few things. Uh, First and foremost... They went from losing their top two running backs from last season, plus the guy that everybody thought was going to start being off the team right before the season. So you're like, oh, running back's a mess, to, oh, by the way, we have an NFL running back. So that's a good start. Um, Isaiah Bowser, for those of you that don't know, he's from Sydney, Ohio, played at Northwestern, ran for give or take 1,000 yards as a freshman, but has been injured for the last couple of years. He is now at UCF, and he is the real deal, Holyfield. Uh, He can cut. He can catch, he can block, and he will run you over and talk to your grandmother about it. So 
he's the kind of guy that every team wants at every level because he's a complete running back. 220 and can run downhill, good pad level. That's where it starts. After that, the thing that's ironic, because I know you two are going to talk about it, um, there, there's no nice way for me to introduce this for Louisville fans, but UCF's offensive line might be their best unit. And I'm guessing that's not what you're going to tell me about Louisville. So uh, it is what it is there. Offensive line play in college football that you're just watching it is atrocious. It's horrible. UC, yeah. It's so bad. And I know a lot of it's COVID. Don't get me wrong, but this is that odd year for UCF, and everybody has it about once a decade. They have over five players returning with starting experience that are legitimately good, not just because, okay, we had to play somebody. There's a guy that could start for most teams that is not starting. That's a good problem to have. So Bowser is a really good player, and obviously Dylan Gabriel, I'll get into him in a moment, can spin it. But when you've got all day to throw or you've got a semi-lane to run through, it also helps. So that that's where their team starts is up front. They are they're gonna run right at Louisville, I guarantee. Try and stop us. So that's what I didn't know. I knew I knew they'd be good up front, but I mean they are really good. So that changes the game. So I, I'm personally curious. I, I know the last time we talked, you you mentioned how UCF's got a bunch of athletes all over the oh, field, man. especially yeah. uh, they've got some some kind of unproven guys in the secondary, but they have a lot of dudes up front. Did you expect them to be this good to the point where they're only allowing Boise and Bethune Cookman to like average 20 yards a game on the ground. Is that something you expected? A couple of things with that. I mean, you can't predict giving up 20 some yards rushing. I mean, that's, that's absurd, but that's what they're doing. Part of that. Now I, I will throw this in there. They gained 29 yards extra against the rushing total against Boise in the first game. I knew it would happen for one of the teams. The long snapper decided to launch it, and it went in mm. the end zone, and that's 29-yard loss. But they still would have only ran for 49 yards. And, like, the Boise fans are on my YouTube and stuff. Oh, we're going to run for 250. Okay. Because I, I know some of the guys up front, Big Cat, some of them, and they made it very clear to me. We are dialed in, and basically we are going to kick the crap out of them. And uh, they went out and did that. This The way they said it, A to B, like Kalia, Clay is not the guy you want to run into in an alley. Um, he's he's the 310-pound defensive tackle with athleticism that gets drafted kind of guy. So it's just there's no way you can double-team everybody. And then the athletes that Matthew's talking about can play off of that. They have a lot of skill, but technique in the secondary is iffy at corner. I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But at linebacker, they are flying everywhere. Um, John Baptiste is a guy that you're going to see I'm just going to throw that out there, number 11. Watch him by 2.30, and he's a missile. He's second on the team attack. He, he barely played last week because they didn't need him. They played Bethune, but he was their leading tackler against Boise. He had nine tackles. And then the, the entire defensive front is very good, and that's where it starts again. It's in the trenches. If you beat the bejesus out of the other team in front of you, life is much easier. Play calling just works so much better. It's, it's amazing. But they, now you got to remember – Six out of their seven players in their front seven that start, including the night position, that's the hybrid, they call it the night, are at least in their third year of college football. The one exception, and here's the irony for this game, and I'm hoping to get some closure on this from you guys. Ricky Barber, he played at Doss High School in Louisville, went to Western, ah. transferred to UCF, and he has been really good. 
what is Louisville doing with their recruiting? What is, what is going on? <laughs> what, what are y'all my, doing? <laughs> my friend, we've had many discussions about that one. That's a, that's a good conversation to have with Vince here, though. Vince is a local guy, walked on uh, after playing at, at one of the powerhouses here locally, and he is good friends with all the guys that played here from, from the local schools. And Vince, really, since you got to Louisville, they've kind of – the recruiting of the city has gone down, right? I mean, overall? I mean, yeah, I completely agree. Whenever I got there, it was uh, guys like Quick, Reggie, uh, like three or four other walk-ons. I think now we're down to, at least from Trinity, I think there's only one or two guys. Isaac Martin might be the only guy. But uh, I'm not really familiar with the name you're speaking of, to be honest with you, from Doss. Mm-hmm. He, started at West- he started at Western though. So I will say there, the, the thing about the state of Kentucky is that what you can see players uh, just sometimes kind of out, out, just be better than the, the opposing team. It's hard to evaluate global players because you'll, oh, have, I know. you'll I have, know. have a, you'll have a Trinity guy who absolutely looks the part. He's six foot five, 225 pound defensive end. And he's going up against the five foot 11, 225 pound offensive lineman at Eastern high school. The state of Kentucky is not a very football rich, like high school talent. I mean, I actually crunched the numbers on the way coming back from Ole Miss ever since like major recruiting services started, like in the early two thousands, the state of Kentucky has only had, double digit top a thousand pro- prospects four times in about a two decade span. And yeah, like- that's, that, that's what kind of, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. What Jaquay was hitting on, on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Louisville and I, I realized that we have four and five stars littered around at a couple of schools, but I mean, you go down to Dade County, Florida. I oh, mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. You're going to struggle to find a three star. Like everybody's going to be four or five star guys. It's, it's going to be the best of the best, the cream of the crop. That's why everybody recruits Florida. That's why everybody recruits Georgia, Mississippi. I mean, we have good players here. We have great teams. Like I'll, I'll put that 2011 Trinity High School team up against anybody in the country of any decade. And I mean, I'm sure they do decent. That, that team had at least like nine guys go to Division One, I, I believe. Yeah. Needless to say, though, Brian, you'll occasionally have a guy sneak out of here, go to a school, thrive there, and end up going and doing big things. Dalen Dawkins played at Trinity High School, went on to Colorado State. I think he's one of the all-time leading rushers in Colorado State history now. Uh, And everybody said, what the hell? Why didn't that guy go to Louisville? But uh, he ended up at Colorado State, and that's just how it goes sometimes. All right, let's go back to the game a little bit here. Um, You talk about the defensive line, and I did did a little bit of research and digging into the defense and kind of looking at what they like to do. Um, I I was interested that Scott Satterfield called out the man-to-man coverage and something that they have not really seen yet. The two teams they've played have really gone more zone, forced Louisville into, uh, you know, really block the guys in front of them, which they've not done, and then, um, you know, give the defense the, the time to kind of swarm the receivers. Um, How do you think that man-to-man defense will match up against kind of unproven receivers, but guys that are quick twitch can make plays. Um, They've got a quarterback that when, when he has a pocket, which who knows if that's going to be the case can make, make the throws. But um, how do you think that man-to-man coverage will match up? It's ironic that you brought that up because I I was going to mention that next. Who said they're definitely going to run man. This is only the third game of the season. Travis, uh, Travis Williams, we call him T will is the main defensive coordinator and David Gibbs is the co and he's the DB guy. They're struggling a little at corner and man, but they know up front they're going to beat the bejesus out of you, so they kind of take their lumps and just attack. 
The funny thing about it is they still play some zone, and their safety play has been pretty good. I expect to see a little more too high against Louisville, maybe play man under, because I think they're just going to try to contain Malik and not allow him to make humongous plays down the field. Obviously, he's got a big arm, and he's a tremendous athlete. If they don't get big plays, I just don't think they're going to move the ball consistently. So, I, I mean, there'll be some man, but why would you go up against uh, that freshman with Huggins or whatever his name is? Yeah, he's Huggins, really, Huggins, Bruce, yeah. Why would you play man against him? Why would you let one player take away? Because, like, if you just throw a screen to him as an example, then Kalia and Ricky and guys like that aren't very much involved in the play. You're going to do everything you can to make that play five, seven yards, chunk and chunk and chunk. Because Malik has been known to throw the ball to the wrong team. He had 12 of those last year. So it's just true. I expect to see some too high safety, and I expect to see some change of coverage after the snap. And for anybody that knows schemes and all that, those are words that quarterbacks do not like. But it's just the way it is. You're going to do something to make him think. Because when he acts naturally, Malik Cunningham is as gifted as it gets. He's uh, this era's version of like a Tommy Frazier from 25 years ago in terms of physical raw skill. But he's not playing at Nebraska with Lawrence Phillips in the backfield, and that's probably to his detriment. So I just don't think they're going to disappoint man because then you can just hit shot plays. The two touchdowns that Bethune scored against UCF, their quarterback was actually really good, very accurate. They hit a 15-yarder and a 34-yarder or whatever, and they were just money balls over the top, just you know, just dropped them in the, the bread basket. Malik can do that, but I'm going to make him do that with zone if, if it's me. Travis could defy what I'm saying, but I bet he rolls it into all kinds of stuff. It'll be different every play. So something that I'm kind of curious about, and we kind of touched upon it uh, leading into the show, uh, Satterfield made the comments earlier this week saying, like when we, we questioned about some of his run game tendencies, about his tendencies to want to run a lot on second and six, second and long, you know, those kind of, downs where more often than not you kind of expect them to pass especially in this modern age of football we we know what the Louisville reaction on that side of thing was but when someone on the UCF side of things hears that knowing how good of a front seven they have knowing that they're going to want to try and play as much underneath as they can to not only load the box but try to try and contain that short passing game which Louisville's passing attack might be kind of limited to considering the offensive line is struggling when you hear that Sats essentially going by live by the run and die by the run. If you're UCF, how, how you, how do you react to that? What are you thinking at that point? Well, there is a live and die by it, but there, there's two sides of the coin. If they are successful, this guy by the name of Dylan Gabriel stands on the side. That's their number one objective. They're, he's not going to openly admit it, but I highly doubt he, he likes Jalen Robinson and Ryan O'Keefe out there with Dylan very much. I'm just going to go out on a way. He knows he has to play keep away a little bit. Two, like most coaches, this is something I joke with some of my buddies about, if there's a group of people on planet Earth more stubborn than college football coaches, please let me know who they are. I have not found them. <laughs> yeah, they, you, I mean, it doesn't matter. Notre Dame, USC, Texas, Alabama, any school, any era, coaches hate the word change. It's a four-letter word to them. So, and that's for whatever reason what he did, but correct me if I'm wrong, and I followed him a little bit at App State. I, I thought Malik would be the perfect guy for him, but he regressed last year from what I could see with, with the turnovers and stuff. Something is not the same with their offense, and I don't know what it is. Now, he did have a quarterback at App State that 
kind of just made things happen on third down. He was that guy that ad-libbed very well. But that just hasn't happened at Louisville, so maybe that's why he's relied on the run a little more. I'm guessing and pulling straws here, but because otherwise I, I, I think it's playing to UCF strength. That's I think that's more so because it's only been as of late that Cunningham is starting to develop into kind of that field general type quarterback, one who like takes complete and control and command of the offense. And, and even still heading into this year, there are flashes of it. There are shades of it, but it's still having trouble coming together. And that's not all necessarily his fault because through the first two games, the offensive line has been horrible. They've been atrocious. They, they can't hold the blocks and pass, bro. They can't, they can't create rushing lanes. So it's kind of hard to operate an offense when you can't even stay still and run it. But no, but to, but to your point, like the, the, the style of quarterback that he has now is a little bit different than App State. So it's, it's a little bit of adjustment just because like you said, coaches are kind of stubborn to want to change their ways. And when you're used to one thing at your previous stop and you don't have that in another, or at least it's taking a, a while to develop, the results don't necessarily pan out all the way on the field. And it's, I'm going to be real honest with you. Taylor Lamb and Zach Thomas might be better than Malik Cunningham. I'm going to be real frank with you. It's close. It's close. And I know it's in terms of scheme fit though, and what they do in that scheme, man, Malik just can't – he's just not doing it to the level that they need. Now, look, I'll give you – App State had better offensive lines for that level than what Louisville does now. But those guys knew exactly what was expected of them. They made their throws. They got their yards. That, they never had a 1,000-yard receiver when he was there, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like they were like these super uh, Dylan Gabriel-type quarterbacks, but they they did what he wanted, and they made everything else work. And you're right, Brian. Something there is not connecting – um, with the offense. And I heard last year from several people about, yeah, it, it was not really a surprise. And Vince, and we've talked about this. There was a, a opposing teams calling, you know, plays out that Louisville was going to run at the line. They knew what they oh, were wow. doing. Um, they didn't adjust. They didn't adjust. And that's why right now um, the fan support is on, is the fan support is on life support because they showed it last year that they weren't willing to adjust when teams figured it out. And this year in game one, he had a golden opportunity to really show what he could do adjustment wise. He didn't do it. Game two, he came back and he did the same exact stuff. I don't get it. Nobody else seems to get it. Matt asked about it. I thought his answer was kind of baloney, but we're going to find out the rubber is going to meet the, what's the, the, what's the saying there? I'm going to botch it. Rubber's going to meet the road. Yep. When we, we see on Friday night, because if, the, the, the 22 yards per game is what UCF walks in here with, and Louisville's not running the football. And if Scott Satterfield doesn't figure something else out, they're going to get their asses blown out on their own home field against an unranked AAC team. Um, and when, when you're Louisville, that's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. And that's why Friday night, get prepared. I don't know if you're going to be there, Brian, but get prepared for the Boo Birds because I think they may make their debut in big, in big, big quantity. <laughs> oh, uh, Because that defense is going to give Louisville fits, man. It's going to give Louisville fits. I'll be in the uh, press box and I'll get a first game view. I'll send you photos if you like. Um, you walk over there, look for the bald head over there, and you can find him <laughs> and he can relay the message. Um, Vince, let, let's talk about the run game a little bit. Why don't you? Why don't we dive into the kind of what we what we expect from our side of the offensive things? Yeah. So, uh, how would you? How do you think uh, you all will adjust to Louisville's zone run scheme? Malzahn um, mentioned that uh, they haven't really seen a. Uh, run scheme quite like Louisville's yet. So I'm just curious as to how you all are going to react to that. I think that they'll, they'll play it with a four-man front most of the time. The key will be Big Cat. I'm sure you guys know who he is. He's a great dude, by the way. Um, can't teach 6'5", long as a tree, 245, and no body fat. You know, um, I don't think he's lifting with Matt. 
but uh, um, that's where it starts. He's missed three sacks and he is pissed off. Um, they don't have a sack. They don't as a team, which is bizarre. They've been all around it. I've got a great picture of Kalia just smoking the quarterback, but they played two teams that have gotten rid of the ball pretty well. They've got experienced quarterbacks, and that helps. It, it really does. But I think they'll play what I – if you think of traditional Nebraska, Florida State, Miami from the mid-'90s to uh, mid-2000s where they just wind up the DNs wide, mm-hmm. I think they're yeah. going to try to funnel everything inside with Malik and make him a pocket guy. That's what Notre Dame did last mm-hmm. year. It worked. So it's the same kind of deal. <laughs> that, that game was very, very frustrating to be a part of offensively. But uh, how... well, I mean, that, that's that's the best way to. If he stays, yeah, no pocket, doubt. He's, not, he's not. He's not that good. He's just not. So yeah. he just checks down all day. That's, he was sixteen and nineteen in that game, but for one hundred and thirty some yards. Yeah, that's I, atrocious. I know. Yeah, that's stinking and dunking if I've ever heard it. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they just made sure that he had to think, and he struggled. And that's the, that's the aim with most teams. I mean, you play college football and you've been on staffs, et cetera. It's not the same when the guy doesn't feel comfortable. He's looking down at the rush. And once Malik starts looking down, he's toast. That, that's I mean, that's a lot in that old Miss game. I mean, it was one read. And, I mean, sometimes it wouldn't even be the read. It would just <laughs> immediately yeah. kind of just well, take off. Well, I'll, I'll put it like this. Matt said something to me in text, and I replied, meet Kalia Davis. Meet Kalia Davis, Davis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because because I, mean, I told you that a, a lot of the the problems so far. I mean, other than like most of the offensive line having trouble at some point, but Malik seems to be getting a lot of pressure from right up the middle. It's one thing to get it from the edge; you can kind of just maneuver a little bit. But when you get it right in your face, yeah, you, there's not much you can do. Is, there's uh, not much you can do. Is he a true nose, or is he going to play more of like a three technique, or is he? Kalia is the rarest of the rare. He could play zero tech or he could play uh, four eye in a three, four. He's a pain in the butt because his lateral quickness. I mean, he's the guy that like Bill Belichick would just be thirsty for, you know, he likes to move guys around. You know what I mean? That's and he's like a a Richard Seymour type guy is what it sounds like. Right. Well, he's not as tall, but it's the same deal where he's very intelligent and he's got good hands and he just flat out disrupts blocks. He will split double teams, and he will flat take your manhood and go right through your chest. Yeah, it's I'm all a- the above. I'm, a- I'm anxious to see how our center and two guards are going to handle just handle him. They've really struggled the past past two games. The whole line has <laughs> as a whole, but in particular, I've been kind of frustrated with them on the run game and the push that they've been getting on their runs and stuff. Seems like they're more catching guys yeah. as opposed to striking. Well. To put it in perspective, I looked up the defensive line for Louisville, and there was nobody in the top ten in tackles. Now, D-line don't make as many tackles in general. I, I will grant you. But I'm looking at UCFs right now. Clea has eight tackles in two games. He only played one and a half games. And Ricky Barber, the kid from Louisville, has eight tackles. Their number – they're tied for fourth as the tackles. They are dismantling what's in front of them. Now, Bethune-Cookman had no chance. My grandmother could have gotten through some of those guys sometimes. <laughs> but, that, I mean, they, were, they had one guy up front at right tackle. He's massive. He's a pretty good player. They didn't have anything inside. They only ran the ball. I'm not kidding. I looked this up. I'm like, wow, 14 times. <laughs> so, <laughs> they just said, we can't do it. That's, that's just, let's, <laughs> yeah. But they just physically overwhelm you. 
if you have two 300 pound plus guys on your interior that can move, there is no recipe for that other than your quarterback being really smart and really accurate. I don't know. Malik can be that. Like I mentioned, he was 16 and 19 against Notre Dame last year. He's accurate when he gets going, but he tends to do better when he plays on the perimeter and fake. Then he runs fake. Then he, Oh, there he goes again. He's going to throw it. He, he's better with the cat and mouse game than he is being a prolific passer out of the three-step, five-step drop. So he is. So yeah. prove and me they, wrong, but they're going to struggle because Kawhi is not going to stay at the line very long. And they like to run a lot of play action when they really get going, but if they can't really establish the run, especially exactly. against this UCF front seven, I mean, they're not – not only is their run game going to be limited, but their passing game is going to be limited more so than it already was. Because uh, against EKU, they they tried to establish some of those deep shots. I know they took like I know it, it sounds sad to say that they tried to establish the deep game against an FCS team, but it's the truth. In in the first half, they took I think like three or four shots, and they couldn't connect on any of them. I know uh, Tyler Harrell was a wide receiver who was receiving a lot of hype in the preseason because he could run like a four, a four, two, four, one, nine, somewhere in the neighborhood, but he, he couldn't catch water. If he fell out of a boat through the first two games, he, he, uh, he, he, my man, my man struggles to locate the football while it's in the air. I saw that he's twisting and turning like he's on dancing with the stars out there trying to find the pass in the air. Oh, that sucks. Uh, that, but let me ask you this. I want one thing I found really interesting in uh, writing about this game, prepare, like kind of seeing what was going to be ahead for Louisville was the third down statistics from Central Florida defensively. Uh, I know they're ranked near the bottom, I think in the 90s on third down conversions from a defensive yep. standpoint. They gave up, I think, seven of 15 from, from Bethune and went Correct. four of 14 uh, Boise State. Um, what's up with that? I, I'm, I need some context because I don't feel like that's – I wrote – I don't think this stat tells the full story, but it's still worth watching. I mean, the sure. 7 for 15 feels like an anonymous. Maybe in the second half they just stopped trying at the end, and it was like, whatever, okay, we're just testing out some different coverages. Give me some context. Well, first things first, against Boise State, they started red hot against UCF, but then the last two and a half quarters they were absolutely torn into shreds. They had negative yards rushing or whatever. They couldn't do – I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all. They adjusted a little bit, and they were done. And that's what the third-year starter at quarterback. Against Bethune, and, and I'm not kidding when I say this, the kid that started for them, he was better than uh, Bachmeyer, the kid from Boise. And Boise State had a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. But he just dinked and dunked, dinked and dunked. And he was so accurate. Third and six, he'd get six and a half yards. Third and five, he'd get five and a half yards. He was a, like a West Coast quarterback. And the one weakness that UCF has – these are both their starters. They started last year as freshmen as well. Are sophomores and Thornton and Brown, and they've got immense talent, immense talent, but they're not great technically yet, and especially Thornton is struggling. They pick on him, and and you know what the deal is? There's nobody to help you when you're 25 yards from the next nearest player. It is what it is. So if the receiver runs a good route, you've got a guy that guy was super accurate. They dinked and dunked. And then on top of that, in the second half, they took out all their players. They were just, you know, everybody played but me. So some of those first downs took place in that scenario as well. But it happened in the first half. We on the field and stuff. It was hike and throw. They had no chance to block them. And that guy was just that accurate. So it's an anomaly, but you got to tip your cap to him, too. He was a pretty good football player. Um, how he ended up there, I have no idea. But – it is what it is. Um, Here's a hard, real, quick, real quick before you go on. I got a stat for Vince here. Are you ready for this, Vince? Two of your former teammates played in that game combined for 10 catches, 74 yards. Marcus Riley, Kamari Everett. How about that? <laughs> I'm happy. Honestly, I'm happy to see uh, 
I wasn't really tight with uh, Marcus, but I was definitely, I think Kamari and I were in the same room at the time, position room. And uh, he's a hardworking dude. I'm, I'm happy to see him get yards and finally get, get out there on a college field. He has all the ability in the world to be an NFL player. He is humongous. He looks the part, brother. He would love to have ball. him on the Kamari's roster. Kamari's a big so, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he ran into some issues here. and. He, yeah, no, well, that's what that's what they got last chance you for, man. There's always an opportunity to go somewhere else and uh, to to figure it out. And this, it was just cool to see two former Louisville guys have some nice statistics there. Yeah, that was. Awesome. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead, Brian. Continue. I'm just kind of curious to see if, like Matt was bringing it up earlier, you brought it up. Are they going to play man? I don't think they'll play as much because I just think they can handle with four most of the time, and then they'll bring pressures from. Lord only knows where they mix it up pretty well and they'll mix up their coverage waiting for Malik to make the dumb play just flat out and on yeah. top of that you've got a freshman running back he's not going to pass protect well I don't need to watch the film no freshman running back pass protects well ever and then on top of that you still have all these young guys two freshmen have caught passes for Louisville two sophomores more chances for fumbles wrong routes slightly off etc any error against a team that you're going to run for about two yards of carry is going to be very much magnified. So they don't have any reason, in my opinion, to be super aggressive on every play. So they, they do have to figure out third down defense because there's no way to hide a corner. There's just not. Yeah. That's the yeah. only weakness I see with them. Like the difference between UCF and, say, Auburn or somebody else in the SEC is we have a first-round draft pick on every one of these teams if they develop. Does UCF? Eh. And I'm talking about a corner, which is the you know premier, most difficult position to recruit by a landslide in college football. There's nothing even close to it because it's so hard. And that's the position they have not figured out. If Louisville is going to win, Malik has to play above what he normally does, out of the pocket, and make throws. That's not what he does normally, but, that, hey, one game, why not? Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, anything can All happen right. in one game. All right, yeah. we have already we've already given our predictions on the the first half of the show. So now we're coming to you, Brian. Give us your score prediction and fill in the blank for me here. UCF wins the football game if. Start with your score prediction. The UCF wins the football game if. I've got them thirty-eight to twenty-seven, and that's if they just don't play stupid and turn the ball over. If you turn the ball over, just like we all know, anything can happen. But this is a their first game of the year on the road, and b that crowd just wants something to cheer for. If Louisville gets up early, like 14 to three after, you know, uh, a sack and a fumble recovery and they score immediately, something like that, then things change. They have to survive the first 10 minutes, either tied or ahead. And then their talent, I think, on defense will take over. They have to survive that first 10 minutes. Yeah. It wouldn't right. be the first time that Louisville's been up early against UCF in that stadium. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, the ghost of Blake Bortles still hovers over Cardinal Stadium. All right, that is going to do it for us here as we get uh, uh, looking forward to Central Florida on Friday night. Give Brian a a follow on Twitter at Football Scout, FB for football, not football, FB Scout underscore Florida. Uh, Great recruiting stuff, great Central Florida coverage. Brian, you got a a busy couple of months to the next couple of years with the the conference jump and – uh, all these cool things starting to happen around campus. So uh, we'll definitely catch up with you. And uh, hopefully next week, Louisville's got a victory, man. I don't think that's going to be the case, but uh, <laughs> one can hope, right? Well, it, it is what it is, man. You, you guys have a very unique program. I, I don't know what's going and what's coming. And you know, 
But we don't either. It's, well, neither do we. <laughs> it's, it's, what, it's what ages Matt overnight, uh, keeping himself on his Yeah, no stuff. kidding. No kidding. Uh, some days you're covering a, a press conference about a, an employee's Twitter account, and some days you're talking about a national championship in basketball. So you never know what you're going to get around these parts. Brian Smith, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.